0: This is Michael Rudy, Yield Pro Editor in Chief, filling in for Linda Hoffman. Linda's under the weather with the case of laryngitis, but I assure you this is one interview she is very sorry to miss. Two years ago, it's hard to believe, Our Hitters is now in its third year, 50 episodes, over a million views. One of Linda's first interviews was Kevin Kelly, managing principal of Leon Wiener and Associates, headquartered in Wilmington, Delaware. Today we bring it full circle with another Kelly this time Sean Kelly, also with LNWA. Sean is the son of Kevin, and at least in this case, it appears that multifamily housing is a family business. As EVP for the company, Sean oversees all development across LNWA's 10-state footprint along the Eastern Seaboard. I recently reported on a survey released in late September that found that construction delays are a major challenge in apartment development. Delays include everything from supply chain disruptions to economic uncertainty. The average cost of apartment construction rose 9%, according to the National Survey. Risk is everywhere. Sean is someone who knows quite a bit about risk. Sean, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Hi, Michael. I appreciate the invitation, and I'm happy to be with you.
0: Sean, a lot has changed in the two years since we interviewed your dad. What do we need to know about you and LNWA?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, uh, LNWA is an East Coast based developer with vertically integrated property management and general contracting in house. We own and operate more than 6,000 apartments in the Mid Atlantic, Midwest, and New England states. And our company was founded in 1949 by Leon Wiener. Mr. Wiener was a legend in the home building industry. And I think, Michael, we could spend an entire podcast discussing his impact. But rather than do that, I would summarize by saying that when Mr. Weiner was inducted into the Housing Hall of Fame, he was called the conscience of the housing industry by his peers. And we at LNWA still very much take a mission-minded approach to our housing developments. And we try to always view our efforts through the lenses of the communities in which we work. I am, as you mentioned, a second-generation developer. My father, Kevin Kelly, serves as our company chairman, and I am in my 13th year working professionally for the company, although I certainly grew up across uh, driving our job sites on the weekends. And now I'm fortunate enough to lead our real estate development team as executive vice president.
0: LNWA operates mostly in contiguous Northeast with the exception of Maine, via New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Connecticut, but not Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, or Vermont. What's the strategy?
1: Well, so to clarify, I think I heard you correctly. We actually do operate in Maine. And it's a great question in that why we kind of skipped over certain states in New England. And you know, given our 70 year history, which has spanned single family, multifamily and hospitality development, we've become good at a few things. And I would say identifying undervalued opportunities that make sense for our business model is one. And understanding when a partner-driven initiative can drive value for our company or realize value for our company is another. And I would say our presence in Maine is really a combination of those two things. So LNWA works very closely with a group of Portland, Maine-based partners to jointly pursue real estate development deals in that state. And our organization has an office there. So our presence in Maine is really driven by our partners at Renewal Housing, who have become very innovative in developing affordable for sale housing, serving folks between 60 and 120% of median income, which is often referred to as the missing middle. So when we can figure out the economics of an underserved need, like the affordable for sale market. We're happy to expand our geographic footprint, and Maine has certainly been a great state to work in. And I would say stay tuned for Vermont.
0: Okay. Where have you found the most favorable development environment for housing, and what can other regions learn from it?
1: So our company has our home office. We have, we have a a 10-state a, a, a footprint, as you mentioned at the top. Uh, But our home office and our property management operations are actually based out of Wilmington, Delaware, and that's where we were founded. And there's a saying that you may have heard mentioned uh, by President Biden called the Delaware Way. And the Delaware Way speaks to the fact that as a state, Delaware has and, and our company has really close lines of communication with our state, local and federal elected officials. And we as an organization believe that advocacy for housing is of utmost importance. So Delaware allows us to bend the ear, so to speak, of our elected officials in a way that we can explain to them in great detail the constraints and the opportunities in providing housing and specifically affordable housing, which is a core component of our business. So I would not say that Delaware is markedly different in its regulatory scheme from other states that we work in. However, the ability to access decision makers in a way that provides a platform for housing is something that creates deeper focus and therefore a more favorable environment. So we've been very successful in creating housing opportunities across the state. Uh, We have completed both affordable rental, market rate rental, for sale housing, and recently this year opened a select service Marriott in Middletown, Delaware. So to kind of fully answer your question, Michael, I think other states could benefit from making housing a top priority of their elected officials, and then organically, that will break down some of these regulatory hurdles that we hear a lot about.
0: In covering the affordable market, I find that it's all in the financing. Product design, not so much. How does affordable product design differ from non-luxury market rate? And can such a thing be built today?
1: Well, in my experience these days, there's virtually no difference in the quality or aesthetic of affordable rental housing being produced versus market rate rental. You know, we just completed a 50-unit tax credit financed property for seniors in Bucks County, Pennsylvania that was certified by the Department of Energy as net zero ready, something you rarely if ever see completed on the market rate side of the business. So I would say that the design elements in affordable rental are virtually indistinguishable from the market rate counterparts. However, there are certainly flashy amenities that you see in market rate housing, like a large elaborate pool, for example, that often don't make sense in affordable housing because for us site selection becomes the priority and is often driven by an ability to co-locate affordable housing near transit opportunities or job opportunities rather than in locations that would require a resident to utilize their vehicle to get around. So I would just point to the fact that affordable rental housing is consistently winning multifamily industry awards, such as the NAHB Pillar Awards, when paired against its market rate counterparts. And I certainly think that speaks volumes.
0: Could smaller units and fewer amenities be the answer to unsubsidized workforce housing? Or do regulatory requirements, land prices, and construction costs put such product beyond the reach of middle-income workers?
1: So I think that this question ties closely to the need for reforms that are more permissive of higher density housing. You know, we, we have a, a patchwork of unsustainable zoning policies nationwide that really limit the production of housing. Um, I recently had the opportunity to uh, see a presentation from a very interesting group out of Cornell University who has established what's called the National Zoning Atlas. And it's a database, and the data in which a database utilizing uh, geographic information systems and, and mapping technology to really take a close look at our zoning across this country. And really, we are still operating under codes and policies that incentivize single family housing on oversized lots in the vast majority of our country. And I really think that we need to get back to developing more densely. In transit oriented corridors. And then I believe the analysis of the smaller units and the amenities should certainly be considered. You know, with regards to smaller units, I am encouraged to see the acceptance of more accessory dwelling units on single family lots. I do think that that can have an impact locally. However, I believe we are also nibbling at the edges here without meaningful zoning reform.
0: Switching gears, you're Chairman of the Board of Trustees for NEHB's Multifamily Council for 2022. What are the main achievements of the council this year?
1: Well, NEHB staff, I would say, is the gold standard in keeping our industry informed on the housing issues on Capitol Hill. You know, from from an advocacy standpoint, our group is very concerned about an emerging acceptance of rent control restrictions for example has been an issue we've been working very hard on and we think that you know the data certainly points to and studies have shown that rent control appears to assist residents in a short term manner but most major policymakers and academics would agree that over the long run, rent control decreases investment and therefore creates additional challenges as related to housing affordability. So that is an item that we have had robust discussion and continue to engage across NAHB's platform of skilled legal affairs experts and government affairs experts to continue to track that very closely. Uh, additionally, multifamily council and our group has been an incredibly important resource for accessing and discussing with economists and sharing ideas on what has been the drastically changing interest rate environment of 2022. And you know, finally, NHB in concert with the uh, the stakeholders in the federation, myself included have been incredibly effective at winning several housing-related provisions that are included within the Inflation Reduction Act, which will mitigate what we think will be some unintended consequences of what is a very large piece of legislation.
0: President Biden announced a plan to increase the production and preservation of housing in the U.S. Other than increasing funding to existing programs, what aspect of this plan do you think would be most successful in raising housing production?
1: Well, I do think that the most near-term tool that the White House can utilize is to expand and improve the existing forms of federal financing for housing, such as community development block grants or the FHA loan programs. That funding will allow developers to offset certain elements of the uncertain interest rate environment. We already talked earlier about the need to incentivize nationwide zoning reform and land use policies. So we were certainly very encouraged to see that message delivered by the Biden White House.
0: Any aspects of this plan that may be counterproductive?
1: Well, so so while I think the intention is correct, Michael, I think there are aspects of the the Biden administration's proposal that involve integrating. Housing programs and incentives under the Department of Transportation that I'm concerned, and I believe my colleagues at NAHB are concerned, will add more regulatory burden and create additional backlogs.
0: Great show, Sean. Say hi to your dad for us, and I hope we can have you back. I really learned a lot of good stuff.
1: Thank you for having me anytime.
0: Something has to change. Just at a time when we should be increasing housing production, it's falling again. I'm glad that we have the best minds focused on solving this decades-old problem. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show, and thank you for bearing through the impromptu guest house. I can say with certainty that myself and the Yopro team are multifamily housing's greatest fans. As such, Linda Hoffman and I are in the process of writing a book on its greats. The stories of builders, developers, and operators who, through time, have made a genuine and valuable mark on the world of apartments. Once published, the book entitled Grit will be available everywhere, including the NAHB bookstore. If you know of someone and we're looking for those with a serious track record, the battle-worn, please reach out as we work to capture the successes, the lessons, and the strategies that have made our nation's multifamily housing great. Until then, I'm Michael Rudy. See you on our next exciting episode of Power Hitters.